Hello, hello, and welcome to episode 118 of A Play on Nerds. Uh, I am one of your co-hosts, Jarman. And I'm the other co-host, Steve, and we're here to co-host the hell out of this. Heck, yes, we are. Um, It's been a little while since we've had our last episode. Yeah, I mean, life happened. I took a trip. Yeah, and I was finishing a giant project, so, you know, we were both busy. It was the, the timing was perfect. I went away right when he needed time. It's true. It's true. And and what are we covering today, Steve? So today we are going to be talking Game of Thrones, uh, the highly anticipated return. We're a little bit late to the game. We're sorry. <laughs> Life happens. That's right. But the important thing is now we have two whole episodes we can talk about, and we are going to discuss some of our own theories that we've cultivated, heard, loved about this season and where we think this show is going to end. And after these two episodes have already aired, there's only five episodes left, right? Or four. There's only six this season. Oh, I thought it was seven for some reason, but you're probably, I don't know. Right. I thought it was, no, here's the thing. I thought it was seven too. Uh, episode. <laughs> <laughs> We're so well prepared. No, no, no. I had the same thing where I was like, it's seven. And someone said, no, it's six. And I was like, Oh, I thought it was seven. <laughs> yeah. I thought I heard seven you. somewhere too. What does the um, interwebs tell us? six damn six episodes so we were very fortunate because we were like well what's the point of doing this episode now that it's already been two episodes because i'm sure people would have died already but luckily no one has died yet yeah the first nobody two has died yet okay we're gonna get into that later yeah i'm so will. excited to talk about it but in the meantime what you you were finishing a project you get to do anything else uh yeah i've done a few things i went to see richard the second which was fun Ooh. at the local shakespeare theater that was a lot of fun um just finished up that big project, which I can talk about soon. Um, it's going to get released, I think, with next week or so. So that could be cool. Oh, that's killer. Uh, yeah. Um, and then also uh, went to a concert. Uh, one was it was called the Oakley Doakleys. It's a okay. heavy yeah, metal um, band. Heavy metal Ned Flanders band. Yes. <laughs> and uh, Speaking whoa, of heavy metal. There's some heavy metal outside your door. Um, Damn. But. I'm, I didn't realize they were just a scream only metal band. I'm not a fan of that. Uh, there was no. Singing. Oh, yeah, they're they're pretty hardcore. Right. But the opening band was called Bear Ghost and they were amazing. They're from uh, Arizona and they uh, they're basically like kind of like ska pop rock. But they do a lot of nerdy songs with chip tunes added in and also did like covers of Disney songs. And that's in that style. And a lot of there's three part harmony with them and there are three guitars, three part harmony and, and, the, and the drums. But I was really digging that band. I'm not a much of a music guy, but that was really fun. And then Oakley Oakley came on as the main act afterwards, and we just kind of hung destroyed back. Destroyed everyone. Yeah, we were just like not that into it, but uh, but it was a lot of fun. Oh, that's not, is that your radical recommend for the wear for the week? Bear <laughs> it is not, but I will recommend them as a second okay. separate recommend. Go check them out on Spotify. Bear Ghost. They're really fun and, and cute. It's fun. So yeah, that was my time. What have you been up to? Yeah, we we went and took the kid to Pittsburgh to see my folks for an early Easter. My mom called it unorthodox Easter because we were a week early. But it was the only time that both us and my brother and his wife and their kid could show up. So we got to spend time together as a big family and had my daughter and cousins together and having all sorts of fun and did big bubbles and went to the Children's Aww. Museum and uh, and hunted for Easter baskets and dyed eggs. And 
<laughs> all the did cute all that stuff. stuff a week early. Nice. And then we came back. We had a very low key Easter. Uh, Anna's mom came down and joined us. We had a nice picnic in the Rose Garden here. Uh, and uh, other than that, we played Dungeon World in the campaign that you and I are playing together. That's right. Steve and I somehow found time to do that, but not record an episode. <laughs> That's Whoops. right. Well, I did it like the night I got back. I was dog tired. Oh, yeah. Just happy to not be on a plane. And you're just a player in this one, so you're not having to prep. Yeah, anything. it takes a lot less. I just show up and say dumb stuff. <laughs> exactly. It's a lot of fun. Uh, but, but yeah, happy to be back. And uh, I think if I remember correctly from so long ago, that takes us into some nerd news. Uh, yeah, it's been a while, but I think I think you're right. It's time for Nerdy News. So All right. I've been a total slacker, and this is the first week <laughs> in a very long time that I don't have a nerdy news story. <laughs> but that's okay. I, think Steve I, brought, does. I brought a double dose and a clippy name. Oh, wonderful. The that's clippy the name part. is Life and Death Situation. Oh, nice. I've got two stories. The first one, Life. Uh, paleontologists have discovered an ancient crab about the size of a quarter uh, that lived during the time of the dinosaurs and is being called by paleontologists that found it the platypus of the crabs <laughs> and that evolutionarily it is the goofiest thing imaginable. <laughs> so it, its scientific name is the Calichimera perplexa, which means perplexing, beautiful chimera. Hmm. The chimera uh, in mythology was made up of all these different creatures, and that's basically what they're saying this thing is. Right. It's like a mixture uh, of two things that shouldn't really go it, together. It's got giant eyes that, if they were on a human, would be the size of soccer balls. Hmm. It has a finger-like mouth like a shrimp. Gross. It's got weird monkey wrench-shaped front claws, <laughs> elongated shell like a lobster with a tail, and its back claws were shaped kind of like sea turtle fins. Just amalgamation of weird shit. Right. And originally they thought it was a uh, like a filter feeder, but now they think this thing, this goofy bastard actively hunted. <laughs> uh, so that's life. And then death as Disney uh, finally takes over Fox and is starting to share some of the longer term plans for the all the stuff they got out of the corpse of Fox. Um, they're they're dumping some stuff and kicking some stuff to the curb. Really? Yeah, uh, some of the movies, the biggest of which was simply titled Mouse Guard and was greenlit with a budget of $170 million. Whoa. And they scrapped that immediately. That was going to be a Fox film? Uh, yes. Gotcha. But Disney apparently has a policy they don't spend that much money on non-franchise films. Makes sense. Yeah. Uh, some other ones, uh, a Tom Hanks picture called News of the World, which was actually bought up by Universal. Uh, Paramount swung in and picked up an adaptation of some award-winning book called uh, On the Come Up. Hmm. Um, also just kicked right out. No one picked this one up. Uh, a movie called Fruit Loops, okay. a dramedy set in a mental hospital. That sounds offensive. <laughs> um, and inside sources that um, Disney is really wrestling because Spielberg had signed on to do West Side Story with Fox, like a very good true rendition. And now they are wondering if he can do the way he wants to do with Disney and their restrictions for what uh, they will and will not show on screen. Yeah. And they said they're still going to use Fox to do more edgy and more R rated films. That'll be their vehicle for pushing out those movies. So they're not, yeah. like, they're not getting rid of Fox, you know, like they'll still use it for that. No, no, no. But Fox 2000, which was like a, 
a, a smaller film indie got completely gutted and destroyed. Jeez. Of the of the movies I said, three of those four were from Fox 2000. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah, I knew it would be a big shakeup. Yeah. So it's, that's life and death situation. I do have a little bit of nerdy news, and I think of it uh, just that Ooh. they haven't officially released it yet, but the trailer for The Mandal- uh, Mandalorian has escaped online. But it's, it's uh, <laughs> several people just basically filming it at, at a Star Wars celebration. And it looks pretty finished to me, the, the trailer. So they might release it soon officially. But you can see the whole thing in pretty and see it pretty well. And it looks amazing. It looks simply astounding. Um, and that's wow. going to be on their Disney plus service. And it stars the guy from game of Thrones who got his head crushed over in Martell. Um, he plays the Mandalorian. Right. So it's looks I mean, pretty much in his helmet the entire time. So I don't know if they're ever going to show his face, but it looks, it looks great. It looks freaking great. Oh, and it's got do uh, that so he doesn't have to do his own stunts. Yeah. It's got Apollo Creed in it uh, from Rocky. Oh, that, Dolph Lundgren. No, not not that guy. That's the Russian. Oh, um, Carl Weathers. Carl Weathers. Yeah, he was. He's in it in a major part. He plays like a <laughs> you got yourself of, a stew going. <laughs> the guy with no yeah with no hand and the uh, Happy Gilmore. <laughs> yes. So yeah, that's some uh, news there, right there for right. you. So before we get into Game of Thrones, I have a segment that I've entitled "Siege the Day," created where uh, I'm going to talk about some of uh, as the battle for Winterfell and the siege of Winterfell is upon us. I want to talk about some other seizures through history that happened. Mm. Uh, so there's the Siege of Megiddo, which is from 15th century BC and is the, one of the earliest recorded sieges that they've been able to pull out of the history books. An Egyptian pharaoh headed up into Mesopotamia to put down a bunch of rebel cities. Uh, they met in the field in battle. His armies made short work of the rebels, but then his men got cocky. And instead of chasing down the rebels and stopping them once and for all, they decided to raid a supply camp the rebel forces were able to pull into the city Megiddo and hold out. And a seven month siege began. Jeez. Eventually sick and tired uh, and weak from disease and not being able to get rid of bodies and stuff. uh, They sent out their youngest children to plea for mercy. And uh, the, the Pharaoh allowed it and let them off with basically a warning. And they had to swear an oath of loyalty. Wow. That's basically the idea of a siege, right? Just tire them out and, deplete their resources. Yeah. Who, they who breaks first? Right. Uh, Alexander the Great, uh, 322 BC, he sets his eyes on the city called uh, Tyr, small city about a half mile off of the coast of Lebanon. That's like T-Y-R-E, right? I think. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it was on an island, had high walls, it was well supplied, they had an excellent navy. Um, so they get there and Alexander orders his force of 35,000 to start building a giant bridge out into the water over uh, this sandbar that had been that apparently at the time they've looked geologists have looked at it was uh, was actually rising. So it was the perfect vehicle for him to get over. They build this bridge. Once they get it long enough, he brings his siege weapons and starts shooting at the walls while they continue to build the bridge the rest of the way. <laughs> uh, and then finally his men make it to the wall. Another seventh month siege ensues and they finally do break the walls, fight their ways in the city and took the city of Tyr. That's why he was such a badass. The land bridge was so big and so vast over the years, the wreckage from it gra- gathered silt. And what used to be an island is now a peninsula. Oh, goodness. Because the land just formed around this massive, unnatural thing. Wow. As so currents so and still there to this day. It. it is still into this day. Wow. Uh, and then finally, the British's uh, first major military encounter with the Zulus. 
Mm. All right. So British were really cocky, like really, really cocky when they first got to Africa. Um, they saw everyone as savages and they thought that a few guns could put down hundreds of them. It was real dumb. So uh, these 2000, 2000 British soldiers march into this area called Inslandwana. I tried. Um, <laughs> they decide to go during the harvest season. This is the, someone's brilliant plan. They're going to go during the harvest season because they think all the male warriors will be tending the fields. But what they don't know is that harvest season is when the military really picks up because they're getting ready to to um, uh, to move all their cargo and move their their harvest for the year. So all the warriors were like up in arms. Twenty thousand Zulus attacked wow. these two thousand guys. These two thousand guys set up camp for the night and didn't bother to set up defenses. That's how cocky they were. <laughs> Twenty thousand Zulus make short work of them. The Zulu's backup force of about 4,000 guys get bored and they run 20 miles to attack another British outpost. Uh, it was a military outpost, really well stocked and fortified um, over the course of a, they about 150 men. Over the course of 11 hours, those 150 men fired more than 19,000 bullets. Jesus. But killed only 300 Zulu warriors. Wow. After 11 hours, the Zulus finally broke the siege, and uh, the British forces walked away and had only lost 15 men. Wow. But they gave yeah. up, though? The Zulus did eventually break the siege, yes. I mean, like, the British gave up. They, they walked away. No, the British made it. Oh, so the British held the siege, basically. Yes. Wow. The siege broke. Gotcha. Yeah. Um, yeah, just some crazy sieges through history to get your mind thinking as we get into Game of Thrones Season 8. And the next episode, the battle for Winterfell. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> feel that music. I get chills every time. It's like, everyone shut up. Everyone shut up. Don't make any noises. <laughs> Don't talk. <laughs> oh, man. We watched uh, with my aunt die, who, like, you know, Tessa, my cousin, like, passive, passively was like, everyone really needs to be quiet because I really want to see that, hear this. <laughs> And then two minutes later, Dad's like, "Oh, that's that guy from season two. <laughs> Shut up, die. Shut up. <laughs> Isn't that that one guy too? That the thing, the place. Yeah, my uh, so during the opening where the little boy is running, uh, my cousin Allie was like, "Oh, is that the boy who fell from the tower?" And her fiance, her boyfriend goes, "No, sweetie, that was seven seasons ago." <laughs> <laughs> We were watching with a mixed crowd. Yeah, seems like it. <laughs> so I was fortunate enough to watch the last episode at my friend Buddy's house, Buddy and Jamie. And they have this one of the bedrooms and they're upstairs. They turn into a movie room. So they have this giant sectional couch that they that just barely fits in there. It's huge. And then they have 7.1 surround sound. A beautiful 90 inch projection screen that has a project a 3D 4K projector projecting onto it. Um, Holy crap. And it's completely blackout curtains. So we it was like an amazing experience. Um, and what's so do it. What's so sad is I'm not watching next week's episode with the big battle in, in their house because that would be amazing. But instead, I'll be watching it in Atlanta. We're visiting some friends with Kate. Uh, so we'll be watching on a regular size TV, probably. That's OK. Just just put a sheet over your head. It'll seem the same. <laughs> exactly. Blackout. So before we did this, uh, we weren't sure what was going to happen um, for the second episode. So we scrambled to at least record a our draft. So do you want to explain how this draft worked that we did, Steve? Yeah. So we chose 24 major characters with dragons and direwolves as kind of bonus characters. Uh, and we are everybody. Each of us is starting with 12 points. And for each character that dies, we're going to lose a point. 
And our bet is whoever has the most points at the end. So the most living characters mm-hmm. at the end. They get the most points. Uh, only special rules that we stay, that we, we put in was that if somebody dies and then is resurrected, they are worth a half a point. Right. Unless they then die again. And that point's and removed. Then they, and then that point's removed. That half point's removed. And the system, it's a little different than most things you're probably seeing out there where everyone just gives their list of who they think lives and dies. What we did was we picked our teams. So I got to pick first. So I picked one person. Uh, then he gets to pick two people. Then I get to pick two people, two people, two people yeah, back and you're, forth. You're going to hear it. It was It's like yeah. a football draft. And so but we did it for nerd stuff. Like I showed Kate that afterwards uh, who I picked. And she's like, why'd you pick that person? I'm like, no, I wouldn't have chosen to pick that person, but I was stuck with them at the end. You know? Yeah, so, sometimes you're stuck with bad ones. So I'm, it's just really a question of who got stuck with more bad ones. So I want to play that recording here. The auto quality is not as our usual because we were it was just a off the cuff quick. Recording. It was a rush job. We're sorry. Yeah. So just here is our our draft for season seven. Who will live? Who will die? So this is how a round robin works. Oh, we pick somebody. I take turns picking somebody. Okay. So one of us goes. Yeah. So one of us goes first and picks one. This shows how not sports related I am. (laughs) Whoever goes second picks two and then you pick by twos until the person who picked first gets stuck with the last pick. All right. So so we're talking about most basically most who we think is most likely to die. Gotcha. All right. Um, I am going to use a uh, roll generator to roll to see who goes first. Okay. Roll one virtual dice. I guess I'm going to roll a d6. So let's roll the dice. Rand, random.org. I got a six. I think that means I go first. <laughs> All right, you go first. So you pick first, and I pick second, third. So I pick two people? No, you pick one since you get to go first. Oh, okay. All right. So it was my team. I want them to be alive. Then we'll change it to that. That if it's teams, then that's why I think it makes more sense. Okay. So then whoever has the highest amount of points at the end of the season wins. With most alive people, yeah. The most alive people. Um, I am going to go with a one that my girlfriend will like. I'm going to pick Sansa Stark. Okay. So German's taking Sansa. Okay. All right. So I pick second and third. Okay. Uh, I'm going to pick the Hound. All right. Followed by Tormund Giantsbane. Really? That's an interesting yeah. pick. All right. Now you pick two. All right. All right. I will pick Brianna of Tarth. It's a good, okay. solid pick, I think. And I'll go with uh, a Jamie Lannister. Ooh, Jamie Lannister. Okay, bold. I kind of like want it. them to fall in love and like be together in the end, but it's not going to happen. That's my uh, shipping. All right. So I will then choose Davos Seaworth. Davos Seaworth. All right. And Podrick Payne. Nice. He made the list. Yeah, so this was originally like 32-some, and Anna helped me cut it down to 20. That's probably a good idea. All right. Uh, so I do think they're just going to go with it where Daenerys will live, even though I don't really care if she does or not. Fair. <laughs> so that's one. And so then, okay. then I'll go with... Uh, Theon, he gets his happy ending. Okay. I will choose Tyrion. Okay. 
I don't. I really don't think he's going to make it. <laughs> and there's really no one picked John Snow. No. I'll take John Snow. I'll take John Snow. All right. Proceed. <laughs> I think that's what that means. <laughs> All right. I got my two right off the bat here. I think one of them may die or both, but I'm still going to try for it. Uh, Gray Worm and Arya Stark. I'm surprised you don't have Bren, Bren or Bran. You don't have him on here. He was one of my. He was one of the last two or three cut. Mm. Actually, gotcha. It was tough, but he 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 almost made it. <laughs> um. Okay, so we only have a few choices left. Right. Um. Some that kind of sucks. We're like they're probably gonna die. <laughs> that's right. Uh, I will choose uh Sir Jorah Mormont. Okay. And Melisandre. Picking like the last slightly good people. <laughs> That's right. So right now we have left the Night King. Euron Greyjoy. The Mountain. Bronn the Euron Blackwater. Greyjoy. Yeah, and Bronn the Blackwater. And Cersei Lannister. <laughs> okay, those are the last five left. All right, well, I'm going to steal uh, Bronn of the Blackwater. Okay. Last decent good guy left. And uh, just because I think she's got a better shot than uh, the Mountain or the Night King, I'm going with Cersei Lannister. <laughs> That's fair. That's totally fair. Uh, then I will, because I like the idea that everyone loses, I'm going to go with the Night King. Maybe I'll have a big upset. All right. And wait, who's left? Who am I missing? Only Euron Greyjoy is left. So wait, you chose Cersei? Mm-hmm. Is that right? Okay. Yeah, I'm, I got one more person than you because uh, there's 21 people, and I picked one first, and then um, no, but I've got two to pick right now. I just picked one, so I've got two left. There's only I got one left. Only Euron's left. Oh, and the and the mountain. You're right. Okay, sorry. Okay, so I choose one, and then you get whoever's left over. Right, right, right. Um, because you chose first. Yeah, so it worked. It worked, Charmin. <laughs> Somehow it worked. Uh, since you, Euron, I think is more likely to slink away. I'm gonna go with Euron. That's a good bet, actually. Yeah, that makes sense. I think I'm stuck with the mountain. Maybe he'll just go out and live in the hill somewhere, the mountain, or he'll get healed. Or yeah, maybe they'll heal all the uh, the undead at the end, so they all turn back to their living selves. So he'll just become the living. All mountain. right, I like that. Who knows? <laughs> okay, so to confirm, we each now have ten points. Let's. Uh, your draft picks are Jamie Lannister, Cersei Lannister. Ooh. Hmm. Daenerys Targaryen, Sansa Stark, Arya Stark, Grey Worm, Theon Greyjoy, Bran of Tarth, The Mountain, and Bronn of the Blackwater. <laughs> right. My list is Tyrion, Jon Snow, Davos Seaworth, The Hound, Tormund Giantsbane, Jor Mormont, what? Melisandre, which we haven't seen yet, so that could be total shit. <laughs> oh, she was Greyjoy. seen briefly, I think. They just panned over her face. Podrick Payne and the Night King. <laughs> this is going to be interesting. It really could go either direction in any way. I have no idea. Okay. So we're, so the highest score at the end of the season wins. Perfect. If they die and are resurrected, not as a white Walker, white Walker records resurrection. I don't think counts. No. Joyce, if they're dying and resurrected though, that that's half point. Half point. All right. That's fair. Okay. Unless they then die again and are not resurrected, then that goes back to zero. It's yeah. It's at the end of the Anything show. Anything could happen. This we're talking about magic and dragons. It's true. Anything could happen. <laughs> um, and then I was thinking we could do a bonus point for 
uh, the dragons. I don't know. And the the surviving direwolves. Ooh, I like that. Okay, so <laughs> dragon. Who do we have left? So it's Drogon. Drogon. I don't forgot their names. And Rhaegon or Viserion. Who's left? Viserion died. Rhaegal. Rhaegal and Drogon. And then for we have Ghost. Ghost, the only one that's left. Uh, Ghost at Nymeria. Oh yeah. There's like conspiracy theories that Shaggy Dog's still alive, <laughs> but Summer is dead. Shaggy Dog is presumably dead. Lady is dead. So what do you think? We each pick one dragon. We each pick one. Yeah. Okay. Do you want to pick uh dragon first or um? Yeah, let's do dragon first. Uh, you went last, so I guess I'll go. Okay. Uh, Drogon's the big main one, right? That's the big main one, yeah. Then I'll go with uh, Rhaegal, the smaller one, staying alive. More wily, okay, maybe. So let me add them onto here. More of a blow with a big one down. Rhaegal, so I'm taking Drogon. And then I will take uh, Nymeria, because I don't think we're going to see her at all again. <laughs> so we very well could be alive. All right. Um, and you'll get Ghost. Who, who knows if that's going to happen? Man, I hope so. Yeah. Well, that's a little nice little bonus round there. So that's our draft. And after that, we now are going to talk about predictions of what we think will happen in the end of season seven. Okay. So my first my first prediction Mm-hmm. Is called is I'm calling it the brand staring prediction. There's <laughs> a lot of oh, by the way, I should do something first before we oh, go forward. Spoilers, spoilers <laughs> through all of this, by the way. Yeah. Oh my god, if you haven't watched or intend to watch, do not listen to me on this point. I said some stuff earlier that I shouldn't have said, kind of. Eh, well, just we, about we the little boy, much. though. So we're doing okay. We're doing all right. not just too bad. A boy exists. I think you're that's all right. The fr- <laughs> that's the first like 30 seconds. I think we're cool, right? I think you're all right. Um, so yeah, spoilers from here on out. Uh, so this is the brand stares theory. So Brand does some very intense staring throughout, most uh, predominantly in the first episode. Right. And especially the end, the most memed one now is um, when Jamie Lannister walks in and Brand just stares at him and says right. nothing. Um, so the first person that Brand has to stare with is Jon Snow. And of course, he knows a very deep secret about Jon Snow. Yes. Uh, he has he looks at Danny and does another big, long stare with Danny at one point, and he knows a secret about her, too. She's not the right. Heir. She's not the true heir. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there are a few other people he stares at throughout the episode that I think that if he knows the secret about those first two, he might have a secret about these other ones. Uh-huh. So Tyrion, after his talk with Sansa, gets a nice long stare. So what does he know about Tyrion? Uh, right now, my leading theory is that Tyrion is uh, a lost Targaryen. Yeah, they had that theory going forward that he was like one of the slept with uh, his dad, right? Uh, or no, the Mad King slept with his mother. That's what it was. Okay. And was infatuated with his mother, in fact. And then he killed her in childbirth, like most Targaryens. Yeah. So I think he knows the secret about Tyrion. He does a long stare with Sam, but I think Sam is off the hook because he told him to go to go tell John. Right. There might not be a secret about Sam. There, the other secret is that, that Sam could be a secret Targaryen. Really? Uh, the baby of Ilya Martell who was supposedly killed by the mountain, but was smuggled in the books is smuggled out uh, and sent off with a family loyal to the Targaryens, like the Tarleys. Uh, and 
It would also explain his father's resentment towards him as being seen as his heir. Mm-hmm. Uh, he takes after his father, Rhaegar, and his love of books and, um, and poetry and song. It is more gentler and quiet. Uh, and his dad then, in kind of his own way of loving him, the, bat, the mean bastard, Tarly, sent him off to the wall to be removed. From the line of succession. From, from, from the line of succession or anything that could touch him. Um, so I maybe Targaryens maybe, get around, don't they? <laughs> yeah, uh, but maybe Tarly's dad is maybe off the hook and maybe did something good for for his son without anyone knowing if this theory holds true. So there might be a secret about Sam. Interesting. Uh, and then the last one is Jamie when he comes in, he gets a nice long look. The secret might be that Bran knows that Bran remembers him pushing him out of the window. Uh, it could be that Jamie is as or a high. Who knows? I don't think that. I really don't think Brand cares about being pushed out the window now because I think he really just honestly thinks, hey, it's the path I was oh, supposed he, to be he, on. Yeah, he talked about that. He, he mentioned, like, you know, if you hadn't done that, I wouldn't be the three eyed raven. And the secret he might know, if there is one, is that uh, Cersei isn't really pregnant. Right. And that she, that might be the secret he knows that he's. But, but not. those are the five people that he stares at. He yeah. knows, we know he knows secrets about like, at least two of them. Does it mean the same thing for the others? Right. And to recap the Azora High thing, now what's that what's that all about? Because I know I've read okay. things about it in the past, but our audience might not. So the Azora High thing is uh the second coming of Relore, the Lord of Light. Think Jesus to God. Like that's really what it is. It's Jesus to God. Missandra uh, or whatever her name is. Melisandre. Missandra and the Red Priest, Thoris of Myrrh. Uh we got to see another red priestess at some point in Essos, mm. Tyrion and Varys. Um but they believe, for the most part, that she is the princess that was promised, uh, D- Danny. Mm-hmm. Um, but there are a lot of other theories of who else it could be, and Jamie is one of the sort of the leading contenders. Jon Snow, Daenerys, um, Jamie. Uh, there's some argument to be made for Sir Davos and a few others. Hmm. And somebody will kind um, of be the second coming of Jesus, kind of thing, and bring everybody together. Yeah. Um, he ha- he brought forth the magical flaming sword Lightbringer. Uh, by plunging a sword into his lover's heart and upon removing it imbued heart imbued uh the the sword ah so that i that was something that i have a theory about that there might in order to fix this problem of who's going to take the iron throne in the end um that somehow daenerys gets turned uh into a white and so he has to and so Jon snow has to then kill her and that would very much fit the prophecy of him putting it into his lover's heart. Yeah. But I mean, it would also fit the prophecy of Jimmy and Cersei mm. and then would also fulfill her prophecy that she will be strangled by her Valencar, her younger brother. Ah, supposed to be mm-hmm. strangled, huh? So we could see two prophecies fulfilled at the same time. If it's Jamie and Cersei. And how much of these prophecies have they actually mentioned in the show? I don't think they've mentioned this in the show. They're peppered in. You get a lot of it in season two with Melisandre and the red God. You get a little bit more of it um, when they're in Essos and a little bit more from Thoros and mirror. Uh, Mostly Melisandre though. There's one scene between Bran, I think, and uh, one of those uh, scholar guys when he's in bed talking about some of the old prophecies and stuff like that. I think Um, maybe I remember that some small scene. Uh, but yeah, so brand that's the brand stairs theory <laughs> could all very well be true. Uh, so what, what's what you, what do you think is going to happen? Let's hear one of yours. Uh, well, just I, I, haven't, I haven't been following a lot of the, you know, you know, trending theories out there. I haven't been following a lot of them this season, right. um, but I just have feelings about what I think will happen and what I want to happen. Um, and 
I let's talk about let's talk about if this was any other normal not George R. R. Martin written <laughs> series, what we think would happen. What they're setting it up to be would be obviously that Jon Snow and Daenerys somehow decide to rule together on the Iron Throne equally and everything was right. in happiness and peace. They kill all the White Walkers and that's everything's fine. But right. And <laughs> you know, Sansa becomes the first lady of Winterfell. I believe the Night Watch become able to marry. And so Sam goes back to Night's Watch and you know, yeah, some of those feel goody kind of stuff and people that did good by them throughout the war get happy endings. And Bronn finally gets his two ca- castles by taking uh, the phrase castle. The mountain the tower. becomes like a, a protector of Arya and they become friends forever. And not the mountain, right. the, the hound. And then, yeah, yeah. Uh, Gendry and Arya eventually get married and, and, you know, they rule the stormlight. You know, those, sure, that, that could happen. <laughs> that was a it's great scene, by the to- way, Gendry and Arya. Hell yeah. I think I think 60% of the people that we love are going to be gone in this next episode. Maybe not all in this next episode, but in the next two, certainly. Oh, yeah. Because it's going to be like back to back the battle at, you know, uh, the, I don't wake up the battle at Winterfell. And battle then Winterfell. Immediately yeah. Cersei attacking with the golden the golden army. What are they called? The, yeah, the Golden Company. Golden There's a company. theory about them, too, where they might betray Cersei because... The Golden Company was founded by the Blackfires, who are Targaryen bastards, hmm. who some crazy Targaryen king legitimized on his deathbed and started a huge rebellion. Like it was a whole thing. <laughs> oh goodness! Those but they founded they founded the gold the Gold Company, gotcha. the Blackfires. Uh, but what I really think will happen is at least one of either Jon Snow or Daenerys will die. One of them will. Um, if not, Daenerys both. is definitely dead without a doubt in my head. Daenerys is dead. You think so? John might be dead. I'm going to give him a 25% chance of not making it. And it's like, uh, I know what Kate wants to happen. She, my girlfriend is obsessed with shipping Jon Snow and Sansa together. Um, and she is insisting even to this day, after all we've seen with Daenerys and him like that, they're still going to get together because mm. they'll realize that they're just cousins. Whereas, you know, him and Daenerys aunt and nephew, and so cousins maybe isn't as bad as <laughs> nephew. Maybe and, not. And there's been stares between Sansa not liking Daenerys and not liking her being in love with John. And she's insisting that all this means that they're actually going to be in love and rule together somehow. So that's what she wants to happen. Maybe. Um, but no, I think everyone. I think I am. I am on the team of no one. No one wins that. That the the Night King wins. You think that's really what's going to happen? I I don't. Th- the the Night King may not win, but the people that we love will lose. <laughs> so no one wins. <laughs> kind of. Like, I could see the Night King taking over. I think I've said this before, but the Night King wins. The remaining men head north of the wall, rebuild it, and now they are north of the wall. The wall continues to protect the realms of men. Just on the opposite side. They're just on the opposite side of it. It's an interesting thought. Because there's and still the, the islands Walkers that are protected and other continents and stuff that we haven't even talked about that don't, they don't really True, mention. but the White Walker mythos actually exists in Essos as well. Ah. Meaning that this, this walk could be happening everywhere in theory. Right. Well, that's possible because they, they obviously have to have a world to continue on for the spinoff shows and all that kind of thing. Unless the spinoff shows are all prequels. Yeah. I mean, I guess they'll want to leave some. I think you're right, though, to go along with the theme of this show, how it feels it's going to be a pretty bleak end and nothing to feel warm and fuzzy about. I don't think 
No, no, no. Like, they... I think that they will destroy us as an audience this next episode. <laughs> yeah. Episode four, they will give us a slight reprieve. And then episode five will, again, just be devastating. And six will be like an epilogue. And six will be the epilogue, yeah. It'll just be like Sam and Tilly. Is that her name? Tilly? The Gilly. Little, Gilly and the little girl, little boy, just kind of running away into the woods <laughs> and he has to, and he somehow has brand with him and he has to protect the, the memory of all civilization. Cause that's what brand represents at this point being the race. True. I have another theory about that. Actually, it's a good, a good lead in. Sure. Uh, so, uh, brand says that the night King wants him. The night King has come after three eyed Ravens multiple times throughout history because he represents the, you know, the, the history of man and, and all that mankind is. Um, and Sam gives this little speech about that well that speech is something that sam heard down at the citadel in old town from one of the archmeisters when he was studying there hmm. so my theory is that uh that yes he wants bran but his but his other ultimate goal is to wipe out old town because that is the other repository of all the knowledge of men right and he said he wants to snuff out the light of man. He used the term light and that there he wants yeah. just pure darkness um, but yeah, so I, th- I think that, that the red keep is like great. Everyone, everyone thinks that that's where the night King's headed, but I, I think there might be another target. Yeah. Cause what use does he have for like the iron throne? He doesn't give a shit about that. He now wants to be King's get- landing does have like a huge populace of people, but why would he need to grow his, like his right. army only grow stronger. So he would just go to the most important target first, which first bulwark of defense is Winterfell. So you have to get rid of that. But then after yeah. that, you're right. The most first priority would be all the knowledge and all you know, so that's that's Bran and the Citadel. Do you think we'll see any more magic? Will there be anybody who can wield magic that might help? Yes, um, there is right now a theory that at the Battle of Winterfell that we will see Melisandre and maybe a battalion or a group of red priests mm. from Volantis that come to help. That would be interesting. Their fire abilities and trickery and that kind of stuff would really come in handy. Because the only magic we've seen from non-White Walkers is the fire sword that guy has. Um, that's not magic. That's not magic. No, it's like coated in oil, and then he has to spark it with his hand. Oh, that's it's a trick. Magic. Okay. Well, Dondarian. Now, in the book, they make it clear that clear that it's just trickery. Okay. And then the other only magic we've seen is, um, you know, obviously her walking in Targaryens being immune to fire. Um, uh, there's also the warlocks of Karth. There's also warging. Yes, we've seen that in season one, season two. Um, people being brought back to life, of course. Right. The three eyed Raven children of the forest have some magical ability. They've shown. Aren't they all dead now though? Eh, who knows that group of them certainly is, but I, I don't know if they established that they were the last. Yeah. That was a quick, like that was that one season where they threw in like all the magical stuff in one season. It was just yeah, like, like, Oh, we haven't done brand in two years. <laughs> <laughs> And these crazy um, children of the forest. So yeah, so I think I think Old Town is the other is the other target. That makes sense. Uh, one thing I want to address is that uh, Tyrion, at one point, trying to uh, calm down a group of lords, says, "We have brought two full-grown dragons." Um, so dragons grow until they die in this universe. Dragons grow until they die. Hmm. So Drogon and Viserys are. Rainies, Raingar, I don't know. Whichever two are left, uh, they're only a couple years old. And they're already huge. Uh, But Balerion the Dread, the big one from Tales of Past, lived to be over 200. 
Um, and somebody online did a big scale comparison where they were like, here's Cersei with the skull of Balerion the Dread, and here's Cersei next to this person, and then therefore this person is up to this size. And then this this is how big her dragon is compared to this one. And Balerion the Dread is up to is almost twice the size of Drogon. Oh. So maybe because they're like stinted or later eggs or something, they're not expected to grow, but for dragons, they are definitely not full grown. Yeah, I guess like there is no full grown, I guess. So he's just kind of a phrase he would just used to say they're big. I know, but it was just <laughs> one of those like, come on, you're not giving enough credit. Right. Rhaegal, that was a stain, the other dragon. Um, all right, let's uh, talk a little bit about Arya. Yeah, and I also do you anything about her before I forget though. I want to oh, mention yeah, yeah. Euron. Um, what do you think his alliances will do once hot he topic sees, pirate? Yeah, hot topic pirate. Is he gonna? He'll run. You don't think he'll finally have a change of heart and try to help? No, nothing has led me to believe that that would be the case. Yeah, probably not. <laughs> um, I do have a theory about him that surrounds his scenes with the queen, though. Mm-hmm. So the mountain is now the queen's personal white, right? Uh, he's got the the discolored eyes, the the dark blue eyes or like dark eyes, uh, and obeys the queen without hesitation, and clearly has some sort of deeper telepathic kind of connection with the queen. Because without saying something, he knows what her wishes are. You know, yeah. The mountain was inter- intervened with Greyjoy getting past him on at least one or two occasions, and then with his back turned to the queen, and without her saying anything, he allowed Euron to pass without getting in his way. And that's happened a couple of other times too, actually, if I come to yeah. think of it. So I think between Kyburn's necromancy mischief, like we could maybe, maybe the queen will get her own undead army. Hmm. I don't know about undead army, but I think of more of the possibility that if he's brought back that way, maybe he has a connection to the night King and therefore the night King is protecting her for a reason. Maybe it's possible. Maybe he could turn the mountain on, on her anytime he wanted to, but like he has a use for her. Um, probably just so you know chaos and disorder to help him win but also yeah. maybe because he wants her as the night queen Ooh, yeah there is that theory yes <laughs> so who knows um, that's interesting so uh aria she's being super shady even though way. she's happy to see everyone well i think she doesn't okay. trust anybody anymore so here, there were some weird things though that she chose not to share and the first one that really came to my attention was um, why does Arya hide from Jon Snow the fact that she has a Valerian steel blade? She only showed her needle, right? Needle, and then he, she shows him his, and she, he goes, Valerian steel, you jealous? And she says, she have any for me? Hmm. But she doesn't volunteer up that she's carrying a Valerian steel dagger. Where'd she get the dagger from again? Uh, that is the dagger that was used to attemptedly murder Bran. Mm, that's that was right. Littlefinger's dagger. That he lies and says he gave to Tyrion or lost to Tyrion. How'd she get it? She got it from, oh God, I don't remember. <laughs> There's too much shit. There's too much, dude. I don't know. She got the dagger. She has it. <laughs> That's all that matters. Oh no, Littlefinger brought it and gave it to the family when he was still alive, I think. I think he gave oh, it to Bran and then like, Bran handed it off to her. Yeah, he said I he think had this no belongs to you. And he gave it to him. <laughs> I'll, I loved your mother. <laughs> You're very attractive. I'll, I'll sleep with any Stark I can. <laughs> I'm going to kiss you on the mouth now. <laughs> so yeah, Arya hiding stuff from Jon Snow even, and like strange stuff. Uh, then she asks Gendry to build this weapon for her. 
it's basically been revealed that it's like a two-headed spear, but there's got to be more to it. There's clearly a piece that detached or something. And why exactly she wanted that. Um, right. But another she's got, thing, she's got stuff going on. This is something that kind of goes back to like Kate's wanting Sansa and John to get together. But that scene with Arya and Jon Snow, um, when she, she says, you know, I'm your family too. Because she says Sansa is family. She's protecting her family. He goes, I'm your family too. And they hug and she looks at the camera kind of like, eh. so I feel like she knows somehow already that he's not full family. I don't know how she would have known that, but it's Maybe. like she gave a knowing look to the camera almost like, mm, you're not really family. Wow. I'm protecting Sansa, not you kind of thing. I don't know. Oh, so you're right. The, it's very I'm, shady. I'm one of the people that thinks Arya is already dead. What? Oh, this is somebody yeah. took her face. Yeah, that it's the waif, the blonde who tried to kill her when she was in training. They never show Arya actually kill her. That is true. And this is all her play because seasons ago they discussed hiring the faceless men to kill Danny. Oh, and this is her opportunity to get close to Danny. Who was going to hire them to kill Danny? I. Th- think it was either uh i think it might have been king baratheon and Varys, because they oh, did try to get ago. other assassins to kill yeah like early show and this is like the long game because your connor gives her that uh area that speech at one point it's like what is it you know what is time is it, it takes a day to kill him a week to kill him months years to kill him it doesn't matter to <laughs> a faceless man that is interesting it could be the way this whole time this whole time that makes it's me possible. sad but you know but I really would. do love Arya. Um, but yeah, I don't know. We'll see. Uh, what about Varys himself? I love, I've always loved Tyrion Varys combination. They're just amazing together. I feel um, like they're not doing their normal shtick this season. It's they really haven't as much. Yeah, that's true. I know Varys is down in the crypts. Most people think the crypts are a death trap. At least that's most of the theories right now. Everyone gets sent is down that, there is going to die. Even yeah, like they kept saying it over and over again. Like, well, the crypts are the safest place you could be. Hey, I hear that you're going to be down in the crypts. That should be the safest place in the cap. <laughs> like, nope. nah, something's going to happen. I also feel like uh, because of uh, how much time they focused on Brienne of Tarth this last episode, that she's definitely going to die. Even though I don't oh, want her to. She's definitely gone. She'll she'll die protecting uh, Jamie. Oh, I want them to go off and marry and be happy together. Have giant. Buck teeth babies. <laughs> she didn't have buck teeth. In the book, she's much uglier. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. Her nose is all messed up and her face is flat like a shovel. Like, it's real bad. <laughs> I'm glad they didn't go that direction. No, they did not. Oh, man. Yeah, because she's, like, uh, she's then, like models on the side. <laughs> and then my final theory is what is the Night King's message? Because they feel they find little Lord Umber pinned up to the wall and that goofy spiral pattern. Mm-hmm. Uh, of arms and legs. And I think the message that I can is sending is that he is the center of the storm and soon they will all be his hands and feet. That's interesting theory. Cause, but they also showed the parallels how that symbol, especially when it was on fire looked a lot like the symbol for the Targaryen family. Right. But and it also illustrates the fact that as he's at the center, if he is burned, the rest of the hands and feet burn with him. Mm. So they also kind of showed that as well. Now, what did we ever figure out who he was and what family he's a descent or the, you know, the an ancestor of the night King. Yeah. Uh, in theory, he's a, he's well in the book, it's the Knights King. It's very different in the book. Oh. Um, the white Walker still exists, but the Knights King was a, uh, the 13th Lord commander of the night watch who f- met a ice Walker woman 
fell and fell in love with her and together they ruled one of the castles on the wall um like with a brutal iron fist for years until the night's watch overthrew them oh and so that might be the night's king and he just ran off and, and escaped yeah whereas in this one the the tree people made him yes that's completely different from the book um Maybe, but it's not definitive in the book. If like the night King is the night's King, it's really confusing. Oh, two separate things. The book. Yes. The book is not definitive on a lot of stuff that is definitive in the show. Interesting. So it's still shady who he is exactly in the book. Yes. Oh yeah. And they're leaving it open now. I mean, everyone had that theory where Bran, Bran, whatever Bran is the night King somehow, (laughs) but yeah, I don't yeah, now that he's the Raven, I think it's less and less likely. But I mean, they seem to have some kind of connection, but um, it's hard to tell why. But anyways, uh, so and smaller characters, we have Grey Worm and his um, oh, he's dead, lady friend, dead. <laughs> Just not I think, important. I enough. think the un, the Unsullied as a whole are dead. I think they'll just screw with us, and all these lesser characters that people don't really care about as much will survive, and all the main characters will die. <laughs> It'll be like, who's in charge now? <laughs> yeah, Grey Worm, I guess. All right. <laughs> uh, Davo Seaworth, you think he's got a chance? Maybe. I don't know. He kept bringing up that he's not a fighter. That came up like three times in the last two episodes. That's true. Um, so I I don't know. I I really wish he would. He's one of my absolute favorites from from early on. <laughs> I, I I think that everything is pointing at him going out trying to fight. Probably he's an honorable guy. That yeah. scene was great last episode with him and the little girl with the, the uh, misshapen face. And it reminds me. Oh, of this, yeah. With the scar. Yeah. Uh, princess uh, Shireen. Is that who that was? Yep. That was a princess. She was like a peasant. Yeah, she will. Well, no, uh, she that's who she reminded her of. Oh, right. He reminded yeah. of the princess Shireen. Yes. And Jorah Marmont. He is dead, probably. I think they went through an awful lot of trouble to keep him alive and bring him back from the stone skin and everything to, to just kill him. I, I think that only one of the Mormonts is going to live, and I think it's the girl. Well, that's true. And what is his relation to her? Is he like an uncle or something? They're cousins, Cousin. technically. Okay. Uh, we talked about Euron. What about Podrick? Uh, Podrick is my other favorite for being a secret Targaryen. Hmm. They showed that he can sing, and he... Rhaegar loved to sing um, just in this last episode. Um, once again, baby about the right age. He falls into the exact same theory as Sam baby about the right age, trusted to uh, a house loyal. In this case to the Lannisters, this adjusts the theory a little bit that Tywin is the one that smuggled the baby out hmm. so that he would have a card in his back pocket, a backup plan. Gotcha. Uh, and entrusted to the pains F- a house loyal to the Lannisters. Um, but it's, he's about the right age. He's about the right temperament. Uh, Tywin Lannister went through trouble to keep him around. Mm-hmm. Um, so Pod, Pod's my other favorite for the maybe a secret Targaryen. And all this being said, there is a lot here that they need to conclude in four more episodes. Oh, I'm so, so excited to watch him try. I, yeah, I'm going to be. I think people might be a little upset with the, some of the loose ends they leave behind because I don't know how they can tie all this up in four episodes. It's but. easy. Everyone dies. <laughs> then you don't have to answer anything. Right, right. You don't have to answer any questions if everyone dies. <laughs> Except Grey Worm. He survives Except everything. Except for Grey Worm. <laughs> no one cares. Um, oh, boy. Well, yeah. Right. 
Well, that's a good talk. I'm excited to see what happens this season. I hope you guys are too. I think by the, after the last episode, we should have like a little recap. Not maybe not a full feature segment, but just a little recap of what we got right, what we got wrong, and kind of review. Oh yeah, what we'll we definitely. Said. Well, I'd like as we as we go through the season for us to update the draft. That's true. Yeah, we can just have going. a little segment Take as points it goes. off and see who's in the lead. I like it. All right, I think that then takes us into some trailer reviews. Yes. Here at A Play On Nerds, we have spent years refining our exclusive trailer rating system. At the low, low end of the scale, we have Burn It, where we think you should find every copy you can get your hands on and throw it into a barrel fire. To burn it, Fahrenheit 451 style. And second from the bottom, we have We'll See. Maybe the trailer was too short. Maybe it was cut oddly. Or maybe we don't know what the hell we just watched. Eh, we'll see. Up next, we have Give It a Buck. Whether you hit a red box, a dollar movie theater in the bad part of town, or a cheap online rental, give this movie a buck and enjoy it without breaking the bank. And at the top of our rating system, we have Shut Up and Take My Money. The wallets have been charmed out of our pockets, and we are ready to make our hard-earned cash disappear. And that's our patent-pending trailer rating system for A Play on Nerds. Mm-hmm. Woo! So we actually have two pretty short ones today because they don't have a lot of talking in them. So I was I, cut, I cut them down a bit. Uh, which one do you want to talk about first, buddy? Uh, let's talk about uh, The Boys. All right. This is The Boys, which will be on Amazon, a series. We don't yeah, normally do TV series, series, but we are this time. People love superheroes. But if you knew half the shit they get up to. <laughs> fucking diabolical. We're the world's greatest superheroes. And I can do whatever the fuck I want. Huh? Who's up for that? That's where I come in. Come in to do what? Spank the bastards. How do you spank a superhero? Boom. Cool. Cool, cool. (laughs) <laughs> All right. So uh, it has Carl Urban as the lead, which I love. He was so uh-huh. good in that show being human or almost human. That's what it was called. It was canceled yeah. way earlier this time. Um, and also just great in dread. Oh, gosh, he's so good. And great in Star Trek, man. Yeah, um, man. Everything he does. But uh, so this seems to be a world where superheroes exist and all the superheroes you expect. There's a Superman equivalent. There's a Wonder Woman equivalent. There's an invisible man. I think it seems looks like all the like sort of typical bases are covered, and Carl Urban's group is the group that's set to keep these people in line because they're in a real world where they're really just you know they're human and they do dickish stuff sometimes with their powers <laughs> or terrible things because it's a very gory trailer if you actually watch it. Uh, at one point, someone's like an Ant Man equivalent; they shrink down and, and run up someone's a woman's skirt and start pleasuring yep. her. Um, I don't know if it was consented or not. And then another time, a woman is sitting on a guy's face and having him pleasure her, and she accidentally uh, crushes his crushes skull. Crushes his skull. And she's yeah. like, oops. <laughs> so there's a lot of weird stuff going on there. Uh, I'm excited. I, this, and then along with, um, what the hell, did the, the, the anti-Superman movie we just reviewed. Oh, right. I forgot what it was called. Um, you, you guys know from the other episode. Uh, and I think we're sort of seeing a backlash against the superhero genre. And I'm kind of excited to watch it happen. I'm excited for this kind of subgenre that's a that's arising. I think it's like um, just bound to happen. Something that gets so popular after a long time, like 
Westerns. You have Blazing Saddles and that kind of thing that get kind of comment on what's in the zeitgeist. And it's going to there's going to be yeah more of these where it's be like, OK, we've had so much superhero stuff. How do we put a new spin on this or comment on it in some way? But yeah, it looks really well made and Carl Urban's awesome. So I'm all for it. Yeah. Uh, so what's what our you, next trailer? What would you give it? Oh, uh, I, I'm already giving Amazon my money, so I guess I'll give it uh, take a give it a buck. Shut up and take my buck. <laughs> yeah, t- you already have my buck. <laughs> there you go. That's kind of a new one. Uh, yeah, so Amazon's already got my dollars. So yeah, we'll check it out. All right. So our next one is for Star Wars: Rise of the Skywalkers. Plural, I think. Sure, plural. <laughs> We've passed on all we know. A thousand generations live in you now. It's singular. It's Skywalker. This is your fight. We'll always be with you. No one's ever really gone. (laughs) That's literally all the dialogue there was. There's a lot of flashing images. Uh, but it looks pretty badass. Oh yeah, Emperor Palpatine's back in some way. Ray is jumping over a, a a Tie Fighter with a lightsaber out. Uh, uh, Lando Calrissian's back, man. Yep, and we got new lines from Mark Hamill, so that means he's definitely back as a Force ghost or something. So that's always good. Yeah, uh, I'm I'm excited. There's a lot of fan theories thrown around right now. My favorite of which is that uh, that uh, Palpatine, whose master was Dark Plagueis, uh, was the the Sith that learned how to conquer death. And I think the way he did that was by passing his Sith spirit from master to apprentice. Mm-hmm. And so Palpatine is actually the living on of Darth uh, Darth Plagueis, and uh, he has been from a distance grooming ray and kylo so that one of them will be he can take one of them well how did uh snoke fit into that crap i think snoke was a no one he was just like a just didn't matter i at think all. i think snoke was a a traitor or salvager who was salvaging parts out of the crash death star and stumbled upon the force spirit the trap force spirit of of emperor palpatine or dark plagius oh so he didn't inhabit him or at least guide him he a was while. a pawn, a but pawn. he wasn't a true Sith. Right. Yeah. That's why they didn't call him like like a Sith Lord or anything like that. He was just Snoke. I don't think so. Yeah. Whatever the hell that guy was. So I think Snoke was literally a no one. And we don't know what race he was or what. It's just like nothing was explained about Snoke. It was kind of pissed off a lot of fans. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, there are a lot of cool theories. I'm excited. And then, and then Disney's announced after this, they're taking a break for a while. That's a good thing. Yeah, they've got other things they need to to put time into, and they're going to take a lot of their creative force from this and put it elsewhere. Probably all the Star Wars series they're making on Disney Plus. <laughs> Maybe, like the Mandalorian's budget looks gigantic, so I would not be surprised if they just put more of their focus on television for a bit. I mean, also Disney's making so many Marvel TV shows now. There's going to be like that a, is very true. Uh, Quicksilver, not Quicksilver. He's dead. Um, it's like a Scarlet Witch Vision TV show, apparently. Okay, it's it's like a comedy where they try to live in an apartment together. That would be great, but I doubt it. <laughs> but they're like the most powerful beings in the Avengers. He besides- like knocks knocks a coffee cup off the the corner with his elbow. She catches it with her red power, and then like puts her hands on his hip and shakes her finger at him knowingly. Vision, not again. 
And there's great YouTube videos out there of her losing her accent and gaining it back in different parts of the movies. Like now she just has an American accent suddenly, <laughs> but she was totally Russian something before. Um, and I, yeah, I don't know. It's crazy. I, I was speaking of that. I should say as good time as any to talk about it. Uh, I'm seeing Avengers Endgame tomorrow. Tomorrow is uh, technically Thursday at 830 or 8 o'clock. So I'm excited. So I've been trying to stay away from spoilers. Uh, but the one thing that I've heard in a lot of the reviews thus far is that we we all knew that there's going to be time travel somewhere, some time element. Right. This one. And that it is not the most clear thing in the world. <laughs> what they chose to do. It's not the most clear. Yeah. People, a lot of people were, were, said that it was kind of confusing. Okay. So it's like hard to understand what exactly is going on. Right. I guess so that's without any spoilers, that has been kind of one of the complaints of audiences. Probably complicated. Is this complicated, complex, which is good. I think possibly. it's got a complex plot. <laughs> There's a lot of it, <laughs> but uh, I think I met just before a friend of mine uh, rented out a whole theater. Uh, oh, you did. Got all his friends to pay to sit. I hope he got his money back, but <laughs> it's just an acquaintance of mine. But it'll be interesting just going there. People who are dedicated to watch it in a good environment and be quiet and pay attention and shut the hell up. And yeah. Then. And wear costumes and stuff. So it'll be interesting. Um. So, yeah. Radical Recommends? I think it's time for some Radical Recommends, if I can find the button. If you have the means, I highly recommend picking one up. What do you recommend I do? I recommend Pleasant. So, this week, I have uh, a very random recommend. Uh, It's uh, (laughs) one practical one and one YouTube channel for you guys to check out. So, the practical one is... There's like a car situation. Oh my God. There's two guys having a honking match out in front of our apartment. What is the problem? California sucks. That's what the problem is. They're really angry at each other. Hope they don't get in a fight. Um, They're both paying 60% of their income to keep a roof over their head. That's what's going (laughs) on. That's true. So I have had back problems for since I was like 19. I finally figured them out. I have two slip discs and I have arthritis in my back. Found out by personal trainer, not personal trainer, but a physical therapist. That it actually in new studies are showing it's very common for a lot of people to have these same exact back problems, but they just don't have any pains. So they never get MRIs and we don't know it. Um, but something just trips some people up and they end up having back pain. You have to retrain your nerves not to have that pain after a while. So by doing lots of exercises and eventually your back will be normal again, which is great. It's very exciting. But for back pillows, I've had back pillows for the entire time I've had this problem and I've been doing it wrong the whole time. <laughs> So okay. I, the problem is I always put it in my lower back where I had the pain. And then after about a half an hour, the pillow would always be ineffective and I'd have to take it out because it would just start hurting again. Right. And the reason was apparently the pillow was just putting pressure on the point that hurt. So it temporarily relieved the pain. It changed the signals being sent to the nerves. But after a while, the nerves were still in pain. So because there's still being pressure on my back. So it goes by hurting again. So what you do is you pull the pillow up to your middle back. And it curves your spine just the correct way. So where you're not putting pressure on your lower back and the pain is gone. And I can sit like that for more than one hour. <laughs> Very nice. So it's so simple. Just lifting. So your instinct is to put the pillow where the pain is. But that's the wrong instinct. Push it up to the middle back. It curves your spine. Less pressure, lower back. No more lower back pain. Just putting out there, guys. Anyone else has that problem? Try it out. The other one is a YouTube channel that I was actually a part of, which I forgot to mention earlier. Um, Ooh. In the event. All right. So I found this YouTube channel uh, through a friend of mine. He uh, recommended I talk to this guy who made it and eventually I became a part of it. It's called the Cinema Schlock Cinema Society. 
but it's on the Nar- Narcotic Casserole Productions YouTube channel. Um, and basically, it's this really silly, fun thing that basically... Narcotic, what? Say that again. That's insane. Uh, yeah, Narcotic Casserole Productions. That's the YouTube channel. Uh, but the videos that I was a part of, which is called the Cinema Schlock Society. And basically, it's, it's just a starting off thing. This guy's going to get better and better as it goes on with better production value and that kind of thing. But uh, he watches terrible movies. Um, and the character he plays is this kind of uh, almost evil British villain kind of guy who really authentically loves these films. And he's forcing these people to watch them because he wants them to enjoy them like he does. And but forcing them to watch them. They all are miserable and they and they actually watch the movie and then talk about it afterwards. It's kind of like a review of these really terrible movies. Which episode are you on? Uh, I'm on the upcoming one coming out soon, so it's not out yet. But okay. we we actually watched um, Shanghai Surprise, which is a movie with uh, Madonna and Sean Penn when they were first married. Uh, and wow. I, I didn't know it existed. And Dark. it was racist. It was terrible. It was like one of the worst movies I've ever seen in my life. And I like most movies. And this movie was awful. So it's just a really funny, silly channel, and they do some fun things on there, and it's getting better each time. They have some. They had a guest star recently who's a uh, erotic clown, uh, nerdy, like kind of pinup girl type situation. She was okay. she was on there, so that's kind of fun. But otherwise, it's just schlocky movies, and it's really fun. So check it out if you have some time. Okay, well, my radical recommend also centers around schlocky movies. Nice. Uh, and this is a gentleman that I discovered in my deep dive of YouTube uh, called Dark Corners Reviews, where mm-hmm. he goes to the dark corners of cinema and reviews some of the worst and most obscure movies. Like, I pride myself on knowing bad movies. He goes deep <laughs> uh, and does really clever, very well-produced reviews. He is amazingly funny. Uh, British guy. Uh, and does everything from, um, let's see, The Clones of Bruce Lee was one of the movies. He does Jaws 3 and 4, Frogs, uh, and many, many more. He's been doing this for six years. He has a crazy amount of content, and he has he deserves way more subscribers than he has. Nice. Uh, so check him out. Hit subscribe. Dark Corners Reviews. Uh, he releases content every Tuesday and additionally does specials pretty, pretty regularly. And we all love schlocky movies like this. So yeah, it's worth yeah. it. And you can find him uh, on Facebook, dark corner reviews. And then on Twitter, he's dark corners three. Gotcha. <laughs> Bad call, dude. Three, the third one. Three. <laughs> um, all right, good. Well, I'm glad we both recommended schlocky videos. Absolutely. That takes us to our thank you section. Which we can't play this music, so don't don't flag us YouTube. (laughs) So we got an email from Quirky Neuron, our sometime contributor now. Boy, did we get an email. So he is commenting on our episode Star Trek Into Darkness, where we reviewed that film, and he had some things to say about what we said. So Um this I just want to put a comment. This is more what he wrote us more than we have been written in total. <laughs> possibly over the court. Not even possibly. I am 100 percent sure that this is more words than every other word that has been written to us put together. <laughs> I'm convinced of it. But it's possible. <laughs> All right. So here we go. Delve right in. And Steve's going to stop me when he wants to respond to something or I'll stop if I want to respond to something. Um, yeah. Gentlemen, I was debating whether or not to write my favorite podcast host so I could tell them. I strongly disagree with them. 
It seems a bit pretentious to do, and I struggled a while until a bit until a bit of serendipity made me realize that I don't have to argue my point. I can have you argue my point. Uh, while there's probably more beneath the surface to the issues you both took with Star Trek Into Darkness, the main ones you discussed were complaints about Benedict Cumberbatch not being intimidating or Montauban-esque enough, the film not being a Star Trek film, but rather an adventure film, and lastly, that the use of Khan's blood to cure to cure Kirk broke the universe and killed the payoff of the death scene. That's a pretty good synopsis. Right. That's kind of like what yeah. we said initially in our episode. Right. So here's where he diverges. However, I think that you both suffered from a predisposition predispos- to not like the movie based on disappointments going into it via casting and expectations and an idolization of one of your favorite franchises, more so Jarman than Steve. However, I couldn't quite put my finger on what made me feel that way until I listened to the end of episode 29 and the beginning of episode 30 in your own podcast, coincidentally, the very next day. So we heard these early episodes. That's right. Uh, in podcast 29, Jarman notes that there are problems with the Star Trek universe. No currency and the existence of replicators would cause significant issues in terms of functional society. Uh, this is in addition to other episodes of your show, which note events like the metaphasic radiation at, um, and Baku healing and Baku healing blindness. Oh, wait, the, like the metaphysic radiation at Baku healing blindness. OK. And other ailments in insurrection. That's true. And yet using Khan's limited supply of blood to heal radiation breaks the entire universe because you could replicate it. The replicator breaks the universe, not Khan's blood. So I can agree with this point because he's right. We are willing to accept all other sorts of science nonsense and basically magic. Why aren't we willing to accept this? In my defense, however, uh, Insurrection, I also thought was a really bad movie. And most people do. As well, as well as this one. So that that it's not better there. In fact, I think it's also terrible. But from what I remember, the Baku was not the planet that they're on that they have to stay there to be uh, to be living forever and all that jazz. I thought it was the people, the Baku. But they have a reason for like closing it off and keeping their society. And they pr- Isn't it a dance from the 80s, the Baku? <laughs> but they purposely are say, staying isolated and reversing their technology to be more like a, a egalitarian like farm society. So they're not going to let their be tested for you know to save everybody else in the universe um i would i think they do argue or say that khan's blood can't be replicated they can't just replicate it so that's not the broken part of it it's just that obviously they would do something with it since it's saved it can cure anything apparently um and so i think it's just more blatantly in your face kind of a universe breaker than say the replicator which you could just play off to people in society still want to do things and achieve things that's why replicators doesn't break society outright um right but I see his point. We're willing to accept all sorts of other magic. Why not this? Sure, fine. sure. Yeah, fine. They, I just I, wish they had a line. They, they really could have saw, saved that problem because a lot of people complained about it by w- putting one line in that this is for some reason the only time they could use it. They couldn't use it again. If they had done that one line, it just would have explained a lot of things better, I think. Um, right. But I didn't think it broke the movie for me. And I will say off the get go, I still enjoy this movie. <laughs> it's not a bad movie. It's just uh, we tore this pretty hard, though. I think that we harped on those several points. I think we gave the wrong impression, at least for me, because I don't I don't not enjoy this movie. I just think those two those few points that we brought up really kind of made it not great, in my opinion. I stand behind most of my stance. Yeah, I think so. So, okay, here we go. (laughs) Uh, In addition, Steve claims that Kirk's death had no payoff because they resurrected him, question mark. It was an emotional moment that served to bond previously estranged characters to be a throwback to the old movies and to drive the plot by motivating a half Vulcan to do something illogical by chasing down and fighting Khan, as well as drive the secondary plot by inspiring him to open up with the Hura. 
not resurrecting Kirk does not work the same as not resurrecting Spock. Uh, losing the captain of the Enterprise is a bigger deal, and it's not like it would have been better if they made the next movie, Star Trek, The Search for Kirk. All right, this is what I wrote the most response to, because this was one that was, like I think, more du- directed at my points. Sure. Uh, so the emotional moment between them as a bridge, I get that. You're right. They, uh, Kirk and Spock spent most of the movie at odds or at mm-hmm. each other's throats. So to have all that pretense drop away for this one nice moment, you're absolutely right. That I get. Same thing with the plot payoff for Ahura and Spock. Uh, they, they, their, their relationship really dried what I'll call the C plot. Mm-hmm. For lack of a better term, really filled a lot of those gaps. Uh, so I, and that I get. You're right. Emotional payoff galore there. Um, to be a throwback to the old movies, fine. Um, this is where I have a problem. Uh, to drive the plot by motivating a half Vulcan to do something illogical by chasing down and fighting Khan. The movie opens with Spock diving into an active volcano to violate Starfleet regulations by blowing up an ice bomb. (laughs) They didn't need to prove to me that he was illogical. They opened (laughs) with it. So I don't think that this is some big payoff for Spock in that regard. Like you're saying, I think it would, it would almost been more impressive if it wasn't such a exact copy of that scene. Because I, I do like it was I remember in theaters being like, this is badass. You're having a, a Vulcan who's like five times the strength of a human fighting Khan, which didn't happen in the other movie. And that's a great thing that he's motivated because he's pissed off that he killed his best friend or who would right. soon be his best friend. So I, it worked as a moment of, yeah, badass. They're fighting. This is awesome. And I see how he got to that point because otherwise he's a Vulcan. He wouldn't do that. Um, it's just that. I don't know. It's just kind of ham fisted that they did the exact same scene as the other movie. It just was kind of unnecessary. They could this whole movie I felt was kind of unnecessary. They could have just gone so many different directions with a giant universe to play with and so many episodes they could have done that would have been really cool as a movie. And so it's kind of misses the larger point that this whole movie was unnecessary and um, missed. And and I I think that that Kevin actually said my next point in his in his quote, which is. not resurrecting Kirk is not the same as not resurrecting Spock. Losing the captain of the Enterprise is a bigger deal. Mm -hmm. And he's right. And that's where they got it right. It proved to audiences that this was a bigger deal. And that is why I felt that much more betrayed at the end when they brought him back. With just random blood. And, you know, magic aside, because as I said, I, I absolutely get his point that, like, we accept all this other nonsense. <laughs> right, right. Why wouldn't we accept this? Fair, magic blood. I'm I'm down. Uh, I, I get that. But once again, it's just they made me feel like this was so much more important. And then I feel like they dashed me. Right. It didn't get the him coming it back. It was a bigger deal. And that was a good thing. And him coming back so fast and easily just didn't have as much weight. It takes away that weight, basically. And I, I did feel that way. I, I do see, I do see Quirky Neuron's point, but I agree that it was a bigger deal, and that was my problem. Right. So he's, none of his points are wrong here. It's just a matter, of differing matter of opinions um, about what has importance or what we think made it a shittier film. Uh, so okay. So the start of episode thirty then touched on the new release of Star Wars. Oh my god. Okay. <laughs> uh, the start of episode thirty then touched on the new release of Star Wars episode seven's trailer and the outpouring of hate from lonely white dorks who don't have like a black stormtrooper or Kylo Ren's tri-tip lightsaber. Your responses were get over yourself. He can be black or white. 
and that people were overanalyzing the tri-tip lightsaber and should be open to new twists on old franchises. So a stormtrooper can be black or white, but Khan must be at least some shade of brown. And new twists on old stories work for Star Wars, but not Star Trek. So right off the bat, there's it's a false equivalency there, kind of, because... It's, I got he, the same thing. He's, same thing. He's just a stormtrooper. Of course, he can be black. He's not a already pre-established character. Um, I don't really care if they purposely choose to change the the race of a established character when they reboot a film or something. Um, like if they had made Iron uh, Iron Fist actually Asian, or if they reboot Star Wars on the line and make you know Darth Vader black or something. I, I mean, no, even though his voice actor is black, um, that's true. But I don't care about that. But see, the point is. And something I think we harped on more is not the fact that he's not brown, Benedict Cumberbatch. Um, it's just that he doesn't have what you would think if you're casting the role of Khan, a genetically perfect human being who is stronger than 10 men and as intelligent as 10 men. It doesn't really matter what his race is. It's just that you don't think first Benedict Cumberbatch. When you think of that smarts, yes, but not imposing figure is what that embodies Khan. And so I, I, I was able to get over it and watch the movie, but he just doesn't have an imposing presence. See, I think this is a false equivalency for a different reason. Okay. Uh, and it's that the original Stormtroopers were um, clones of Django Fett, who was played by a person of color. Sure. <laughs> yeah. A nice gentleman from a nice half Maori gentleman from New Zealand called Tamora Morrison <laughs> played Django Fett. Not a white guy. If anything, I, I don't think it's a right equivalency because at least Star Wars went more in the diverse way. Sure. As opposed to Star Trek, where a bunch of white guys were sitting around a table, were like, "Hey, you know what Star Trek needs? More white people." Am I right? And they all <laughs> high fived. And then some <laughs> some script some script writer went, "But wait, it's Conch. Can we, should we just change the character?" And they said, "There's no time, Dennis. <laughs> Sit down." And they just went with Con anyway. <laughs> and that's why so I, the- I think Star Wars got it right by just going more diverse. Right. And I think I like the fact that we found in the research that they did actually try to cast several Latin men before they got to Benedict Cumberbatch. A lot, actually. Wasn't it so, like five or six guys? Yeah. And the biggest choice was, um, what's his face? Ben, uh, Benicio del Toro. And that would have been a great choice. There's a lot of other great choices they tried. So I respect the fact that they did try. It's just that the final result they eventually went with kind of stinks because it's not an imposing con figure. And I really wouldn't care what his race was. It's just a matter of, and Benedict Cumberbatch is a fantastic actor, and he acted the hell out of it, the best visibility. Um, but just that it was just a miscast, in my opinion. Um, it doesn't, yeah. th- but that in itself doesn't ruin the film for me. It's just the, and nothing ruined the film for me. I thought it was still fine. It's just there were so many things that could have been so much better. Well, um, I mean, in in the world of Star Trek, they could have made any villain. Sure, there's already any established ones they could have done villain. too. They could have learned from the success of Khan and chosen a different obscure villain from the original series and updated it and and made an homage to Khan that way. Yeah. But they didn't. That's not what they chose to do. They chose to take the most iconic villain in Star Trek history <laughs> and then th- just threw everything away to the point where he wasn't that villain. He wasn't Khan. He really just any in the joy that's saying it was completely missing from Khan that was always there. He, even when he was angry, he still had a smile on his face and he was maniacally going to kill you and be happy about it. And that was nothing at all like what we saw in this film. It was not the same person. So and, and, it goes beyond the in, casting. In that if I think Cumberbatch did a brilliant job, I wouldn't care about any of these things. But I don't think Cumberbatch did a brilliant job. I think, I he, think that yeah. he played very flat. And I wonder how much and, that was direction in the script. Like, you know, and not, not only that, he he was most of his big kind of darker scenes are against Chris Pine and Chris Pine as an actor externalizes everything. 
he very much wears his emotions through his actions and through his his visuals versus Cumberbatch, who's a much more internal actor, right. an internalizing actor. Um, and so he might have just seemed flat because he was put up against an actor like Chris Pine. Whereas Ricardo yeah, Montalban against William Shatner was still over William Shatner, which is hard to do. And well, Montalban Shatner, did it like Chris Pine is, was, is also an externalizing actor. In and that Ma- way, they're very much the same. That's what I'm saying. And Montalban, even even though Shatner is external, he was even more external than, than Shatner. You know, he was like chewing the scenery, which is great. Yeah. Um, um, so I don't I get his point. It's not Daniel Cumberbatch's fault. I think it's the the producers and the writers for insisting that they use this character when they could have done something, I think, infinitely better. Right. With and, Cumberbatch. And the, the main complaint people had about Star Wars Episode 7 was not that it was a bad film. It's just that it was almost scene for scene, plot point by plot point, the same movie as A New Hope. And so, but people still loved it. And a lot of people still really like um, Into Darkness. I like Into Darkness. But my main complaint is that they retreaded something they didn't have to retread. There's so much stuff they could have done. Just like with Star Wars right. Episode 7, they could have done a lot more than the same exact plot points as A New Hope. But it was still a good flick. It was still all right. Um, all right. So and, next then he go, and then and then Quirky goes into this whole diatribe where we're the, we're the terrible nerds who are killing the movie industry. Oh, <laughs> let's see here. Okay, so... <laughs> All right, here's what he says. And then came the icing on the cake. Your podcast transitioned to the recent announcement of Benedict Cumberbatch as Doctor Strange, claiming it as fantastic. The same Doctor Strange who literally looks exactly like Ricardo Montalban in the original comics. Go to an image search of Doctor Strange and a young mustachioed Ricardo uh, and tell me it's not an identical match. Um, do it, he says. So old Benny is good enough to be a Marvel superhero, but not Star Trek. I see how this works. Not quite, uh, because... First of all, I don't have information about Doctor Strange going back generations. I, I've never actually, you know, watched it or read the comics or anything. Um, from what I remembered, it was a mustachioed guy who, yeah, dark hair, kind of darker features. But, you know, I wouldn't know what kind of race he was. Um, at the same time, though, when I think Doctor Strange, if you're going to cast that, no matter what race it is, uh, you want a very kind of wily, very intelligent, very fierce eyes, very kind of magical dude. And there's nothing about Bandit Cumberbatch that's, that's wrong about that. You know, I think they're thinking about Johnny Depp. They threw out a lot of different people, um, uh, not Walking Phoenix, but um, but yeah, there's nothing wrong with that casting. Uh, as far as if you're being race blind, it's fine. If you're being race blind about Khan, it's not fine to cast Bandit Cumberbatch because he's not a giant, imposing, charismatic, uh, fun villain. He just it wasn't. So yeah. I also think that was a false equivalency. Anything to say about that one? Nah, we're good. Okay. <laughs> I covered most of my stuff earlier. Okay, so we're almost there. It says, uh, look, I'm I'm not really upset about this, but I just get frustrated with my fellow Star Trek fans, Star Wars fans, MCU fans, etc., who get so stuck on what a movie should be that they can't just enjoy a fun movie from their own franchise anymore. It leads to poor reviews, then to cancellations of projects. See Solo. I actually love Solo. Um, and then to fewer of the movies you want more of. It works against your actual goals. Uh, case in point, the criticism that this was more of an adventure film than a Star Trek film and the indication that Jarman was actually disappointed that this was the highest grossed Star Trek movie in the history of the franchise. Uh, the other side of that coin is that this movie was solidly reviewed by audiences as an entertaining action flick, sci-fi action flick, energized many new fans about the Star Trek universe and tried to pay tribute to an old classic Trek storyline without being a remake. But the simple fact that Trek d- diehards were upset with the problems you identify led the developers to try and go in a different direction leading to the poorest gross earnings of the Kelvin timeline and now to the studio balking at paying the actors enough to keep the franchise going due to historical performance. Uh, the movie was beautifully shot, epic proportions, adventure 
sci-fi extravaganza and had twists and turns throughout. That's not necessarily a bad thing, even if it's different. Anyways, I'll forgive you two for ruining the entire movie franchise all by yourselves and keep listening anyways. Thanks for reading. He was obviously joking there, Steve, <laughs> but he's not. Um, well, so so I guess my final point mm-hmm. is, and I think we've actually talked about this on the show before, is that I disagree with his bad reviews and, you know, not hitting box office marks because as consumers, I think that is the best way for us to tell the movie industry that we don't like what they're doing. Right. That's how you vote for movies. You vote with your dollars because the fact is, is like the transformers have gotten worse besides Bumblebee, which was actually very, very good. have gotten worse and worse and worse, but every time they release one, it makes three quarters of a billion dollars somehow. Yeah, and the studio who people made people keep voting for it with money, no matter how bad people say it. Is. And since Star Trek Into Darkness made so much money, they weren't going to change anything that they didn't have to change. They made Star Trek Beyond, and it just didn't do as well. But that wasn't because they listened to, to diehard fans who wanted uh, a different kind of story or do something different. Then they just didn't hit the mark like they did with Inner Darkness, because Inner Darkness was a success, like you said. So we didn't change that that they moved forward with with Beyond, and that one didn't do as well. I actually liked Beyond more than into darkness i like beyond a lot actually uh the villain kind of was boring but i i liked it um but since, he's gonna hate that i say that but it felt much more like a star trek film it did um <laughs> and that had nothing to do with trek fans begging for that it, they did exactly what they were going to do because they made so much money and just happened to not work um they're not going to listen to us unless the money says so you know um i'd like to think All they right. would but they don't are we are we at the end we're close we're cl- we're at the end that was it that was the whole okay. thing. okay <laughs> so quirky i hope we answered everything i can't wait to hear your retorts do me a favor can we digest these things in like three paragraph chunks maybe <laughs> yeah. like i'm happy to hash this stuff out and i'm so excited you're listening through the back catalog and that he's I'm passionate to too it's great listen to things and call us on things and tell us where we're wrong but like maybe two or three paragraphs <laughs> and we'll just cut it we'll cut it up but those were all and like i don't think any of your points are wrong it's just that i don't think I think we're allowed to have uh, legitimate complaints about things that don't fit in the universe, things that may be plot lazy plot points, uh, things that are kind of lazy remakes of old things that we want, wish were different. I, I think what it comes down to for me is I don't think Cumberbatch did a great job, and I think I blamed it on a lot of other things. Whereas really my heart is that I don't think that Cumberbatch did a very good job, and that's fair. I and mean, we're a lot of those opinions, and, and yeah. I think it's good to say bad things about things about franchises you like if they're going in the wrong direction you don't like because you want it to go differently we can't just approve of everything in a franchise because then they'll just do whatever the fuck they want um but if people are showing they really enjoy star trek discovery with their dollars with actually watching it and so they're gonna Money. make they're gonna make more shows like that if they complain say this was a lazy rehash of a con story that wasn't done very well and then that that franchise kind of died out and now they're focusing on the TV universe where Star Trek kind of really belongs. I'm just um, mad they didn't make the second film about them bringing back the silicon amorphous blob from the original series. That would have been fantastic. That would have just been a great <laughs> and just fight an amorphous blob for pain, three hours. Pain, pain. <laughs> thank you again, Quirky Neuron. Yes, thank you so that much. That is the most dedicated fan anything we have ever received ever. And it was fun to talk about, even though we can both be right, both be wrong. So we're... We have our own opinions. <laughs> Probably wrong. <laughs> Who knows? Uh, all right. Well, that has been the episode, folks. It sure has. Uh, we're excited to see what happens with Game of Thrones. We're excited to hear from you, our listeners. We will keep coming back and being your nerdy co-hosts if you keep coming back and being our nerdy audience. Thanks again, Internet. Stay nerdy, my friends.
Thanks for listening to A Play on Nerds. Find all of this content and even more nerdy news, reviews, and fun at www.aplayonnerds.com. Be sure to like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter so you know the exact second we release new podcasts, articles, and other nerdy content. We know you're impatient. Subscribe to us on iTunes, Podbean, Buzzsprout, Podomatic, and whatever the hell else you use. Also, please leave us a rating and review on your chosen podcast platform so we can be discovered by even more nerds like yourself. However you do it, check us out. And how. How.